1: Eric Cole, Garav Vidak,
2: and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves Farm System and Braves Prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on TalkingChop.com, on the Talking Chop podcast, on Twitter, at Leprechaun with a K. Basically, if there's some sort of place where content can be created uh I have been creating it for the Braves minor leagues for the better part of six seasons now. Joining me to this evening, like last week, we have one, Garav Vdek, who you can follow at, at GVdek on Twitter. What's going on, Garav?
3: Yo, yo, just excited about this Michael Harris opposite field home run. Can't wait to talk 45 minutes about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, people have been tagging us on the Michael Harris stuff. We appreciate it, uh, guys, uh, for no other reasons, at least lets folks know that we have been on that train for a little while, but we'll get to that in just a second. And also joining us this week for back to back week shows now, uh, the very busy and very talented <laughs> Wayne Cavati. What's going on, Wayne?
1: Uh, I, I am. I'm surprised I have a voice at this point with the D2 uh, basketball tournament, baseball stuff going on, but I'm glad I, g- I was able to jump on and talk some minor league baseball with uh, some of those proposed rules uh, today. Did you see those?
2: I did. I did. The, there's the, the, some of them make some kind of sense to me, like you know, like having a the bigger bases, um, yeah. A, a couple other stuff. The the anti-shift rules, I am skeptical are going to work, uh, I and agree. I. And I don't think that they're going to be implemented, but I, I'm kind of curious as I am curious as to see how they play out. And in a lot of ways, I kind of want to see how infielders play with them. If for no other reason, kinda of, I think it kind of gets back to you know a guy having to have actual range versus kind of being just positioned really well. But beyond that, you know, it's fine. You know, like I, if they want to experiment with rules, they should absolutely do so in the minors. Uh, I, I thought it was weird when they were doing some of the stuff in the minor leagues, like the, the extra inning rule and all that other stuff a couple of years ago, but then I kind of, it kind of grew on me. I'm like, you know, I would prefer them at least try it in a professional setting, but you know, not just like try it out in the majors. So between mm. this and what they do in the independent leagues, I mean, I'm fine with it, but other than yeah. that, you know, you know, we it,
3: know. I want yeah. to just say one thing. I hope, I hope one team decides to challenge that rule and have their infield go out like 300 feet. Just a just a, just a, a giant screw you to some of these like uh, I don't think the the rule's really an issue. It's just a uh, funny thought that I had.
2: So you know the one that I really want to see like happen in a game is the rule where the runner can steal first base. Have you heard this? No. no. Yeah, it, like I mean, like I look on a call on a dropped like called strike three, you can run it out, right? But. There's a rule, like I'm there, 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 was a rule. Hamilton. I think it was being tested in the independent leagues, and I don't remember the exact logistics, but it's like if like a ball gets past the catcher, you can take off,
1: no matter what. It doesn't yeah. have to be strike. And
2: I would <laughs> be so in for this, like <laughs> I, I, mean Billy uh, Hamilton, man. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, in the Taron minor scores. leagues, just yeah, like <laughs> in the minor leagues, there were some guys I would love to see it with that rule in place, but you know. I don't see it happening in the minors anytime soon, but if you want to make baseball more exciting, start with that. Like a guy sails onto the backstop and Ronald Cooney just takes off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in.
1: Uh, Eric, who was the guy? We were at the same game in the press box at Rome and he went from first to third on a bunt. On a, a bunt? Yeah. Uh,
2: so I even I remember, I, I can even, I can even visualize what he looks like. He, we had on our prospect list. Uh, he ended up going to, he ended up going to Florida and then he was released from yep. there. Yeah. Um, uh, na- the name escapes me right now, and I'm, and I'm sure people are going to be shouting. You know what? Please tweet at GVDAC who that pro- who that player was. <laughs> uh, uh, he he's, he is happy. He is happy to take any and all uh any all requests because I mean, he, my I'm honestly my brain farting him on it right now because I actually really yeah, I liked him, particularly the the tool uh, the speed tool. The rest of it wasn't very good, but you know when you take third two bases on a bunt, I'm you know color me interested. Um. <laughs> Alright, but that's not what we're here to talk about. I mean we you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about some the minor league news that like really just came out a couple hours ago. But uh the purpose of this show is to kind of do a quick retrospective and a look forward a bit on the talking chop top thirty prospects list. First of all, if you want to get a really good understanding of how we make that list and you know, the write-ups on each one of these guys, it is really easy to find that the talking chop preseason top thirty. On the, on the website, just make sure you go to talkingchop.com and you'll have the list. Um, the, I think starting with the top five, we have Ian Anderson over Christian Pache, which I've seen, I've seen both. So it's not like completely, uh, out of the question. And that vote was really, really close, which, you know, people were wondering, you know, why we would pick a pitcher over a position player. And honestly, like it's like kind of one in one A. Um, after that, it was Drew Waters, then William Contreras, and then the headliner of the, the list, I think, for me, is the biggest reach we made and the biggest bet we made was putting Michael Harris at number five, which right now looks really, really smart based on how he's looked and how, how he's being talked about in the local Atlanta media. Uh, it's starting to happen in the national media, and the organization seems to really, really love him and have been very effusive in their praise of him. So I guess I'll go to Wayne first, and then I'll go to Gaurav. When did you like kind of realize that I – mean, and we'll start on Michael – is – you know, when did you realize that Michael Harris wasn't just a guy that, we, I mean, a lot of people have been putting him in the early teens, you know, kind of being hedging their bets a little bit, like he's young, et cetera. But when did you kind of realize, hey, he's a guy that, you know, I need to actually kind of really be aggressive in ranking?
1: Uh, you know, in all honesty, um, I know we're going to talk about this later, but it was one of my hardest picks. And the and the reason why is because uh, we, you know, our, our team, we talk all the time and I did not get to see Michael Harris play in person, um, you know, before the world shut down. So I've never had eyes on him. I've seen video. And um, really, it was just talking to you guys. And then, um, didn't someone do an interview with him on Talking Chop? But uh, I, was I, that you?
2: That would yeah. be me. You yeah, had yeah, a video one, right?
1: Yeah and then i just like the way that he that he handled himself you know in that interview and i'm like okay this and and you know like we've talked about this in the past tools are one thing to me but the way you handle yourself and how young he is um makes those tools even um stronger to me because that's someone that could you know i mean look at the guy look at the adversity he's facing his first few years as a pro from you know being this star on the rise to having no season and you know going to spring training and now back in spring training and going up otago with a home run so in answer the, the easy answer to the question is really from lo- talking to you guys and and really looking into the numbers and, and understanding the 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 ceiling this guy could reach
2: gaurav what about you man
3: you know i i actually really really like that answer uh that was another one of the key elements you know, that kind of came for me last year and earlier this year when I did have the chance to interview him. Um, when you talk to him outside of baseball, non-baseball related, shows the utmost respect. You know, you, looked at my tweet, you look at my tweets and I come off, you know, I, I wouldn't think that someone would call me sir, uh, but sure enough, the first time I, I contacted him, he hit me with a yes, sir, and it was just like, wow, okay. Uh, I got the pleasure of being able to uh, find ways to talk to his family, and his family has the utmost highest character and integrity. You see that they really, really got that and made sure he learned that lesson at a very, very young age, and he's always set these really expansive goals for himself uh, throughout his I mean, he's still only 19 years old. You could say childhood, uh, but he's a he's a full adult. Uh, he's he set these goals, lofty goals for himself, and he continues to work hard and exceed them. And you know, that's a whole different reason as to why he's so successful. And Wayne, I just wanted to say that was a really good answer. For me, it came back from spring training last year when you saw him change his approach at the plate as soon as a runner reached second base. Being 18, just drafted, uh, and that's your first experience in a big league camp and you do something like that, that I haven't seen a lot of professional, you know, MLB players do. It shows you how dialed in he is mentally. Uh, and from then, just watching him out, like, let's be real, I've watched so much, try, I try to find film everywhere. I try to talk to a bunch of people and just seeing how hard he works, what he does in the cage, everything together. And for me, it was like, okay, I don't even think he's, like, a top 10 guy. I think right away we're looking at a top five player. And I don't know, who who knows? By the end, you know, with Ian Anderson and Pache graduating this year, we might have, you know, potentially a new number one already. Uh, it's been a, a, just a meteoric rise getting to know the, uh, the man. And uh, I have to say, if there's one person I had to hedge – my money on right now in the minor league system. outside of the people that are already playing in Atlanta. I'd probably put it on Michael.
2: Yeah. Um, I I couldn't agree more in terms of, I I like that you guys focused on who he is as like a person and a player in the work ethic, because I think that's a part that we, that gets forgotten at times is, you know, anyone who sees Michael and he was a little bit skinnier uh in 2019 when we first saw him but you know th- those were like not day 2 tools right like he could run uh he didn't ever like <laughs> it's almost like what his lines were at rome when we saw him at, fresh out of high school by the way which told me a little bit of what the Bra- brave's think of him to think that they could actually put him in full season ball right out of high school you know just let him out there it it, it wasn't it wasn't like the results were awesome But he was, like, hitting some, like, loud foul balls and, like, you know, was kind of was running around. And, like, you could see that there was real talent there. But the important part of taking those tools and getting the most out of them is not something that can be taught. And in Michael's case, he is its relentless work ethic and kind of a talent uh, at the plate, particularly with his hands and with his wrists to make adjustments mid-swing that gives him the power and the hit tool that I think is going to allow those rest of those tools to play. Because there's like tons of world-class athletes of which he would be one of them, but to get where he is now, you don't get there just on athleticism. You get there from really hard work and to do so without a full without a season last year. Now the reports that we got on him out of the alternate site, you know, what limited information we got were really, really good. Right. So I, I don't want to like just say that you, just because we like talking to the guy, we put him in the top five. That's not it at all. It's just that we kind of, we had a more complete picture because we've like, we've really been digging in on him, digging into who he is as a person and a player for a long time. And when you realize that he has all these physical tools and the production, admittedly in kind of a closed environment at the alternate site, plus you have this kind of strong work ethic and desires to succeed. Like you can see where a New York rise could happen. Um, I got asked earlier on on social media if we liked him as much as we liked Acuna. The answer is no. Uh, the, the first time we heard Acuna, the noise that comes off Acuna's bat was completely different, right? And that's not to say that Michael Harris can't be a can't be a great player, but in Acuna's case, where we went in there thinking he's like kind of a, a fringe top thirty guy, to he's a top five player in the system after one series that we saw him realizing that he was better than everyone else on the field. And, you know, he rewarded that faith, I guess. But anyone who watched him for an appreciable amount of time kind of felt the same way. In Harris's case, we really, really like him. He's still a little ways away. We're still talking about a guy who's pretty young. But he's also a guy that, like, has some real upside. And the Braves taking a chance on him with that pick, you know, a lot of people thought he was just going to be a pitcher. That's just what that's what the that's what the book was on him, and Matt was really excited, in particular, right after the draft that the Braves picked him as a position player because he liked him as a position player. And whenever Matt like really likes a prep guy, I always that like, gets my attention a little bit because you know that's that that where Matt lives is you know really understanding those prep draft picks. And when you take when you get a guy like Harris to get him away from a, a college commitment and to play the position every day. You know, it's not like an Austin Riley thing where, you know, a lot of people thought Austin was going to be a pitcher and he turned into like one of the Bears better power hitting prospects. But at the same time, when the Braves are picking a guy off position like that, it must have means that they saw something special with him. And in Michael's case, it, it sounds like so far anyway that that's been the case. Um The other big note here um on our list, other than the rest of the list is going to be, you know, relatively similar to what we've ranked previously. Um the other big bet we made was on Makai Backstrom. Very interested to see where, kind of he, starts the, where, where he starts the season. Uh, I imagine that's probably going to be either an Augusta at low A. Uh, actually, I'm just going to think it's going to be an Augusta low A because of the lack like, of full season experience. But, you know, he's a guy that could move really quickly. Big time power bat. Uh, if everything clicks, he could be really, really good. We like him a lot. Now we're going to get into where things were hard. Uh, and, Garab, I'll go to your, you first. When you're making your list. And you're like making your personal top 30 that we can, we composite together for our list. Who were the guys that were the, like the hardest for you to rank?
3: Oh, this one is actually really, really easy to me. And that's the entire 2020 draft class. I didn't get to see them play a single, a single inning. Uh, you know, the meteoric rise of Jared Schuster was in a very, very short instant i i like i knew he was on my radar come draft time but i you know i wasn't i didn't have him like super high on the list and then the more i dug into him the more i was really impressed with what he has what he has and it's really tough to have a change of that good uh when you're that young and that helped me move him up a little higher uh but then everyone else you know jesse franklin he hasn't had a healthy season in a very long time but you know he has those tools Cam Shepard is undrafted and we had him in our top 30 and it's still, you know, it's something you don't normally see. But again, there were only five rounds in the draft, so it's hard to tell how other teams evaluate him. Um, all those kind of fringe guys, you know, Elder going late, but you know, he has the Arsenal. Why, why did he go so late? Those were probably for me had to be the hardest decisions when it came to, when it came to, you know, the Ian Anderson over Pache, uh, for me, it just, showed up when, he, when Ian shows up with a straight double plus change up that's just something that puts you away from everyone else and while Pache's defense is double plus and incredible I just you don't you don't have the ability to have as many highlights and high end plays as a straight double change uh straight double plus change up has in every single at bat and it came to for me it just potential impact and that's why i had ian anderson a little bit higher um but yeah really it's just those guys we haven't had a chance to see we haven't seen some of the fringe guys since 2019 so keeping them on the list is really difficult you can really go only based on what a twitter dm says really you know you reach out to them and see what they've been up to and that's really the basis of your rankings uh so all in all i have to say more it was the shortened season um over really the players themselves.
2: Wayne, what about you, man? Who are the who are the guys that were tough for you?
1: So this is like such the easy way out of this question. But I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna put it out there. So as you know with minor league ball, I started covering the Braves minor league system out in Rome with Ozzy yeah. Albies back in 2015. You know so I've had I was there for the 2016 championship and you know, and then I think this is this was my third prospect ranking with with you guys. And in all honesty, everyone after Anderson and Pache um, was the hardest choice I had. And, and and where you have to do where you have to look at that, though, is that the last three, four years, sure, the top 10 was hard to rank. But we knew who those top 10 guys were, right? And, and, and it's not like that anymore because all those guys are on the Braves now. And, um, and I think you saw that if you look at each of our own individual, uh, top 30, 35, whatever we ranked, um, because they're a lot different. Usually we're a lot more on, you know, it's a couple spots here, a couple spots there, but we were a lot different this year in our, in our opinions. And, and I think that's because of the, uh, of the odd offseason and because There were so many high level prospects that we've, we've had in the past that it was easy just to throw them in the top 10. Um, and and it's, it's a lot different now, you know, and, and some of these guys we've seen a little bit of, some of them we haven't, some we haven't seen in a long time. Um, where I'm a little bit different is, as you know, that, you know, I do some D, D1 baseball work. So I saw a bunch of the guys that um were drafted and even a guy like Jesse Franklin I got to see at, at the college world series and I really liked him there. So he was he was hurt um obviously going the like the day before last season started. So he hasn't played organized baseball in well over a year. But what I saw of him I liked. For me, it was harder to rank those guys that I felt were going to have a big 2020 in their development and then didn't have it at all and trying to figure out where they fit in the new scheme of things with some new prospects and everything. But, I mean, again, this top 30 for us, I think, across the board, was one of the hardest we've ever had to do. And and just, you know, looking at it, two of the guys we have in our top 30 were DFA'd, you know, and I, I can't remember a time that that's ever happened. So my answer is everyone uh, after Anderson and Pache. <laughs>
2: that's not, that sounds about right. Um, I will say this. The guys that I had the most trouble with, I mean, the, the 2020 draft class was like legitimately difficult because how do you evaluate guys who haven't played in professional baseball against others of similar value that have. And that was a, that, that was a difficulty that I think all of us had. But the problem I had were with the guys that have been on, been in the system for a while, particularly the older guys and evaluating them with essentially a lost season under their belts. like, it's hard enough to evaluate a guy like Freddie Tardock who was like has re- repeated has repeated the level the levels, and it's hard to really see if he's going to be able to develop into that guy uh, that could ultimately turn into a, a really interesting rotation arm, he's young enough where I can say, you know what maybe just keeping him where he is makes a certain amount of sense at least until I can see him again. but when you talk about guys like for example, Patrick Weigel is one guy. Where you know he, he Father Time was already not on his side, and he had a Tommy John that he was coming back from, and there was essentially a lost season with one like essentially one inning of relief in the major leagues, being the exception to that. You know he's on the 40man roster, so that certainly helps, and he was able to be at the alternate site. but you know at some point, how much is a guy how do I put it? How much is a guy losing time when he's already has some things going against him? Combined with the fact that it's pretty clear right now that the Braves do not view him as a starter anymore. You know, like, we, we, there's no discussion of Patrick Weigel as a rotation arm anymore. And that decreases his value. That doesn't mean he's not, he couldn't be a major leaguer, and that doesn't mean that I certainly don't like him. But at the same time, if, if he is being switched to a role that has a much lower impact, then that would impact where his ranking is. And it's hard to evaluate what the, it was hard to evaluate when we were writing you know, whether or not that even being a starter was essentially an option anymore. Now, it's pretty clear now that it seems like the Braves are going to be running him out there as a bullpen arm, which, you know, that means that maybe he drops off the list or he drops towards the bottom, further down further down the list the next time we write the list. And it's those guys who are older and were trending down, I think, were the ones that are the hardest. Because you want to do right by them, right? Like, you don't want to, you don't want to just like, well, you got a year older and nothing happened, so sorry, but you're off the list. But the same like the Thomas Burroughs of the world have been have been lingering in the twenty-eight to thirty range of the our prospect list forever and they haven't been able to make the team. At some point that matters. You know, and then you know, guys like Phil Pfeiffer and Jeremy Walker, those are those are the other guys that, you know, had kind of hung around. Walker and Pfeiffer both had kind of breakout campaigns that allowed them to kind of sneak back up into the rankings, but now it seems like that they're gonna have to drop back down. Um and those kind of those older arms are the ones that I kind of had the tr- most trouble with. I also had a lot of trouble with Victor Vodnik because I am just not convinced at all that the Braves are going to use him as a rotation arm. And if he's not a rotation arm, then we have him ranked probably ten spots too high. That doesn't mean we don't like him as a reliever. I mean, the guy throws absolute gas, but I'm just not sure that's going to happen. I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure he has the body for it to do that over a long season. As a spot start, that makes a certain amount of sense, but. You know, he was a guy that I had some trouble with too. Uh, and it's because of that role. It's because I just don't know if he's going to be a starter or a reliever. And, you know, at the end of the day, we, I, I really like relief prospects because they're really interesting and they can tend to move up systems really fast if they're really good. But their, their impact on a major league roster, especially if you're not like one of the top ones is, is debatable. And that's why that generally speaking, we either don't really rank them very often or if we do, they're, they're pretty low. Before we go on to yeah, kind
3: of – go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to add in real quick. I want to say like one of the – outside of Thomas Burroughs, like the other reliever that we really had on our list was A.J. Minter. And he yeah. was in the system for like two years, and he was off to the majors. So it's, it's really hard to – just to echo what you're saying, it's really difficult to keep relievers on there just because, one, their volatility, and then, two, uh, the really, really good ones, you're just, they're just not around for that long.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've liked other ones too, like uh, Chase Johnson Mullins was in our honorable mentions uh one year. We've ranked Corbin Klaus before Uh he's dealing, he's coming back from an injury. Uh Casey Calix, another guy that, you know, would could, we could sneak back onto a top 30 pretty quickly. You know, once he recover- once he's fully recovered and throwing again, I mean, they, these things can happen, but it's not something that happens all that often. And we have to be pretty sure about a, a relief farm that he's going to hold up and all that stuff. Now, For the second half of the podcast, for at least for a couple more questions, we're going to talk a little bit about the guys who we think could fall off the list and guys who could potentially make their way back onto our list or make make big jumps. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick word for our sponsors.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience –
2: All right, boys, and we're back. So let's talk about the future. We've kind of talked about a little bit about the list itself. Um, and, again, I don't want to dig too much into kind of, you know, like why is Justin Dean one spot ahead of Bryce Ball, that sort of stuff, because I think we all are of the agreement. We've been pretty clear that this our list should be best be viewed in kind of in a tier-type system. So I don't want to get into too much of the minutia of it. But I do want to talk specifically about players that you have, and you can talk about your personal top 30s. It doesn't have necessarily the talking chop one, but who are some guys that you think have realistic chances of actually either making significant drops down your list or will could fall off the list completely. And that that doesn't include like losing prospect eligibility. That doesn't count. So, uh, Wayne, I'll go to you first and then Gaurav. Um, I think
1: I've always, I've always said this. I feel bad, but I, I think, you know, we're, we're going to see, um, Ian and Pache graduate, right? So we're going to have a battle for who that top prospect is. And, um, you know, we've, we, we've hinted that it could be Michael Harris, but you know, like, so I think a guy like Drew Waters, when you, when you have him number three slotted in there is like the expected guy to become the number one prospect in the system, just the way it is. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he's going to drop off the list by any means, but I think he may, um, fall a little bit. Uh, compared to where we've traditionally ranked him. Um, again, I don't think he falls out of the top five, but I think, uh, by midseason, we may be surprised at, at where he stands. Um, I think some of the college guys, uh, have, have a good chance to rise. So I'm not going to really put them in, in, in a conversation about guys that can fall, but you know, you kind of mentioned older guys, right? And, and it makes me wonder kind of about, and and I hate to say this but I'm just using him as an example but like a Trey Harris right like he is older um for for a prospect and he has he lost a year and if he comes out cold you know and and he doesn't come out strong I mean don't get me wrong last show we were talking about him possibly competing for the fourth outfield spot but on the other end of the spectrum if he if he doesn't get that and he comes out cold and he kind of just fades away with the depth that this system has at outfield, how far does a guy like that that fall down the list? That you know, it it makes me it makes me wonder. Another guy, um, I I've always been curious about is is C J Alexander. I don't know uh what that guy could do, um, whether he goes up or down. Um, but um, I think you know, like I'm going to be watching guys like Joey Estes and. Uh, Hayden, Deal, and daisbel Hernandez, and and I just I, and you said I think you said Vodnik. I, I need to see how those guys bounce back after not really playing competitive baseball for a year. And I think those are the kind of names that we'll be looking at that um, may may drop down the list quite a bit.
2: Rob, what about you, man?
1: So
3: I'll start off by saying I disagree with with Wayne when it comes to Drew Harris. I think he'll. I think. Most likely we'll see him, you know, one or two. Uh, it would take a lot for for me personally to have Michael jump him already just because he's had, you know, 40 games of pro ball experience or something like that. Uh, outside of outside of that, you know, I literally have on my on my notes for this every single name that the two of you have already talked about. Um, I was huge on CJ Alexander when we drafted him because he had the tools, but so for he he hasn't put it together, then he got injured, he had surgery, he's finally back and uh he didn't perform too well in spring training and uh I think he's most likely already I think he's most likely been cut. Um so for him, this is just a such a key important season for him in terms of you know value. Uh if he bounces back and shows he's fully healthy and puts together a really quality season, he's jumping back on onto those lists, but for me uh to go from you a know, top 15 to now not you know potentially dropping off entirely in just a two year span that that's you know rather unfortunate uh and like you said I'll also echo on Patrick Weigel as well it's really it's really tough to come back from an injury like that and then you don't know what kind of impact the layoff has on, has had on him um he showed up uh you know in the majors last year and wasn't particularly too good uh, now, like you said, he's pretty much a strict reliever, or, so what, what kind of value does that have? He's most likely gonna drop further if he doesn't perform well. So, uh, it's the older, quote unquote, older arms, uh, in the, in the system, especially when you have this high school wave of players that are really, really talented starting to develop a little more.
2: Yeah, uh, I th- I think that that's where we're at with the list right now, is in this bottom half. It's just that those, <clears throat> the, the Patrick Wiggles, the, you know, Philip Pfeiffers, Jeremy Walkers, Thomas Burroughs, Hayden Deal, those are all guys that we could see drop significantly or off the list completely. Um, if for no other reason that while we're going to see some graduations, the midseason list is going to include a somewhat increased draft class size. Uh, it's not going to be five rounds like it was last last year, but it's not going to be like the full 40 either. So, you know, that, that kind of gets into a certain amount of weirdness of kind of what we can kind of project what that list is going to look like. But I will say that one guy that I could see a lot of volatility up and down is Makai Backstrom. Because if he, at mid season, he's hitting, if he's hitting like under 200 or something, because he's still a young guy, we haven't seen him against older competition yet. We haven't seen him against live competition. You know, It's to be determined as to kind of how he's going to do in these in full season ball, and we like him, of course. We certainly want to see him. How do I put it? We certainly want to see 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 McKay succeed, and he has all the the bat speed and the power that you want. But for a first base prospect, you have to really, really hit. And you know how much that how much of a how much of a leash do they give to a really young kid to just continue to run out there playing first base and not putting up any production? I don't actually know the answer to that question. I don't think that the Braves make the pick to go pick, grab McKay on day three like they did if they didn't really like him. Uh, and this is a kid that if you know he hadn't have didn't have some like vision problems and didn't have a kind of a rough senior year because of it, he pro- he was not going to be available on day three. But what does that mean? I mean, what does that layoff for a really young kid, what does that do to him? I mean, in some respects, maybe it allows him to grow into his man body a little bit more and, like, you know, really kind of get to understand a little bit about how to, like, stay conditioned and how to do preparation for games and things like that. I mean, maybe he takes that time like that. Or he needed that time on the field to develop those skills, and maybe it puts him a little bit behind. It would not shock me if Makai fell down the list, at least initially, a good ways. That doesn't mean he's like you know, you know these are snapshots in time. These are not how do I put? It? I guess I, the, the, these are not the end all be all. Where like all of a sudden like because he a guy drops some spots that it's an irreversible trend, right? Um, and another guy that's in kind of the same boat is Stephen Paulini because he's a guy that you know was like a fascinating story of like you know somehow they found this kid on like a backwoods you know uh, baseball lot in, you know in rural Connecticut somewhere. Or, like a private Connecticut league, and he, you know, blew the, scout, the, the blew the scouts away to where they decided to, you know, snatch him up out of nowhere. I mean, we didn't have any information on him. We were pretty fortunate to get the information when we did. But that's a kid that needed time. That's a kid that needed reps, and he didn't get them. So, what was he doing with his time? I suspect that he was working very, very hard. We wouldn't put him in the top 30 if we didn't think that he didn't have the ceiling or the talent to do so. I mean, he, talk about physical tools. I mean, Steven Paolini has all of them, too. He's a guy that could jump up the list, But he's also a guy that could fall off if, you know, those those physical tools that the Braves were betting on when they drafted him, that they could ultimately not be enough. Like, you know, he just might not hit enough. He might not have a played a position well enough. You know, maybe once he grows, he has grown into his body a bit more. That changed some things mechanically, and then things just don't work out. Those things happen all the time. All right, one last question, and then I'm going to let you boys go. And that's kind of the opposite because I don't like to end these sorts of things on less than positive notes. I want to talk about the guys that could jump on the list. Now, obviously there's going to be a bunch of, um, there's going to be a bunch of new names at the mid season, if for no other reason that the, the draft class is going to have feature at least a couple names. names. Uh, if it's more, if it's, if it's less than two, then we have real problems with what happened in that draft class. But um, Grob, I'm going to go to you first. And then Wayne, who are some guys that like, Maybe you had the back end of your top 30 or were off your top 30, but you could see jumping in and making, like, the the full TC list next year.
3: Oh, man, just like we talked about uh, Paolini and, and Backstrom, uh, this question comes from, you know, majority of these answers come from that same draft class and uh, Ricky DeVito, Jared Johnson, Joey Estes. Not so much Ricky DeVito. He's, you know, polished college arm. I still think full season with him, he's, his stock goes back up. But Jared Johnson and Joey Estes, we know that they have the tools that, that they that they can pitch well. It comes down to getting that pro ball experience, Jared Johnson with that electric fastball. Uh, outside of those, I'll also take the easy answer and say Tavares, our international signing, uh, He's he'll be making his debut. He's obviously going to jump on that top 30 list. Uh, and then, uh, you know, another interesting one could be a Caden Morton, uh, also from that same draft class, but super toolsy, uh, super, super toolsy player. Can he, can his hit tool play enough where he takes that, makes that big jump and, um, uh, you know, just progresses to what he could be and he, he'll easily just athlete alone is worthy of being a top 30 uh, member on the list as well. So I, I would say, it comes down really to that 2019 draft class. There's a lot of really hidden gems throughout that entire listing, and if they progress the way that the Braves hope they will, that's a star-studded draft. Those are you know seven, eight players already on the top 30 list. So it's again like when it when it happened, and we went straight high school. Route, I remember thinking, oh, okay, like this is the Braves going all in. We're used to see them, you're you know kind of used to seeing them spend more of those late picks on. Uh, college age, you know, four-year seniors that are there to fill out the minor leagues, but then Anthopolis decided to to go all in, get these high-ceiling players, and uh, those are the ones I think that I'm watching very, very specifically. I want to see how someone like Jared Johnson took that, not year off, but the year where he didn't play organized ball, see what kind of work he put in, because that's it alive, electric arm that could really, really skyrocket.
2: Wayne, what about you, man?
1: Um, first was his name, Randy Ventura, the guy that
2: <laughs> Randy was oh, GCL legend that had like 70 stolen bases. Yeah. Like so, well, hold on. Before we say, before we go any further, I want to say that that meme that started with the minor league recaps that like turned into like a whole Braves Twitter meme is hysterically funny to me. Like we, the, when Garrett and I were recapping games that had Randy Ventura in them, Grov, were you recapping games when Randy was around? Oh yeah, those were hilarious. Yeah. Two for five, Cause, cause, seven yeah. stolen bases. Yeah, like when he was like in the DCL we'd like put like the little notes as to how many like how many stolen bases he had. And like over time, like the commenters would be like, you know, like the man, the myth, the legend. And if we didn't put it in there, they'd ask me how many stolen they'd ask how many stolen bases he had. Uh because the number probably had to go up if they had a game. Um so that was a that was that was oh, that was too good. That was too funny, <laughs> That was those were good times. That and the the Dion Toscano, uh, you know, is he a real person type stuff? (laughs) Nice. Uh,
1: I don't really have to answer the question because I think Garab nailed it. I mean, especially that last, or I'm sorry, not the last draft class, the 2019 draft class. I I think a lot of those names, they were just athletic type of players, and um, they're really exciting. And I think they could. I I think he hit all the names on the head. I mean, I, I. you know, just throwing out a, a couple names I really like. I, I really like Ricky DeVito, uh, and he was uh, our one of our honorable mentions. And um, I talked about him on the last show. Like, he's like a weird kind of guy, right? He's a college arm that pitched in Rome and, you know, lost 2020 and probably could have climbed up the ladder pretty quickly and been uh, touching on Gwinnett this year. So we'll see how quickly he moves up. Um, and then I like – I really like Bryce Elder. Uh, I think we had him at like 17 or or 18 on, on our rankings, and and we got uh, the Braves got him what in the f- in the fifth round, right? And yep. I think, um, I mean, he is not. I, I'm not looking at him. He's not going to be an ace. I don't think he's a top of the rotation guy. But uh, he was a very good pitcher, um, for a very established program in college baseball, and I, and that's what I liked about the 2020 draft. Is they took these established college players that that. Um, pitched against good competition or in Jesse Franklin's case hit against good competition um and and they have those experienced uh, uh um arms in their system and i think elder has a good chance to jump up a little bit um and and same with uh strider you know i mean we we know nothing about him he he, he threw what a couple innings i think 12 innings total after a lost year of tommy john before being shut down again so we know nothing about him but um i mean there's a reason they drafted him with with barely seeing anything on him and then uh i don't know if you mentioned him but did you know the william woods all the all the all the 99s and 100s that we're seeing on twitter uh definitely has me intrigued it depends what else he could do with all that velocity but uh he's a kind of guy that i definitely have my eye on that could jump up this this list by mid-season if if those um those strengths continue to grow and he harnesses them.
2: Yeah. I think that the, the names that you mentioned, those high school arms, particularly from that 2019 draft class are the guys to bet on, to jump up the list because the arm, the guys who are going to fall off are likely to be arms. I think most likely anyway. And the guys who are going to jump on, I mean, I could see a world where like a Grayson Janista, like goes wild and all of a sudden we have to kind of consider him in like the back end of a top 30 again, you know, but, but most of the guys who are going to have momentum are and it's hard to identify which one it's gonna be because we haven't seen these guys in so long. Are those prep arms that you know grew into the bodies a little bit and all of a sudden maybe they have a tick more velocity or they have a tick more mastery of their of their breaking ball or they learned how to throw a change up over the course of twenty twenty. All those things are like things that can make big differences. I'm really looking Jared Johnson that uh Garav mentioned a few times, he's a guy I'm really watching closely. Uh Matt's particularly high on him. Uh he Matt had him like firmly in the early twenties on his list. Uh, And again, you know, I I don't make those leaps on guys until I actually get to see them. But that makes me like, I put a little asterisk. I'm like, okay, where's that guy playing? I need to make sure I get good. I need, I need to make sure I get a good look at him. Uh, A couple guys that I could see making real moves. Uh, Spencer Schreider is a good pick, I think. Is if he's starting, you know, that changes the calculation a good bit. But one guy that, and I wouldn't be surprising if this happened because of where the Braves drafted him, but I'm pretty sure Matt would burn down a building if it happened, is Bo Phillip. Because he's a guy like we kind of forget, completely forget about, that like the Braves even drafted. You know, but he was a productive player on a very good college team who could hit. And while, you know, his the pro debut was not great, I mean, I don't we I don't think we've ever really knocked a guy for a bad debut. We only just take note of it when it is good. Um, because, I mean, those pro debuts, I mean, like, those guys played long college seasons, and it's kind of hard to, you know, knock them too much. But if both Phillips hitting 300 and, you know, hitting extra bases and stuff like that, and we're, you know, what we think is going to happen is that we're going to lose start losing some arms off our rankings pretty quickly, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, that that was a move that happened. Um. And another guy that, uh, the Braves recently acquired, uh, Jalen Miller, uh, he's a, he was a local pla he was a local prep guy, uh, and was in the Giants system for a while. He's now in the Braves farm system. I, he's been playing a little bit too long for me to get too much, helps too much for, you know, a, a grand turnaround, but I liked him when I saw him in high school, and I liked him when I saw him playing early on in his career, so it wouldn't be shocking to me if he, you know, he ended up being something. Um, but it's those kind of, I think where you, I think you guys hit it on the head is that those, those prep arms, the, you know, the Joey Estes, the you know the Jared Johnsons, those kinds of guys are the ones to really kind of bet on as to making a move. One other guy who everyone on the like Rome coaching staff swore had a major league arm, and we have not seen him be able to control his stuff at all, is Trey Riley. And would it, would, if he had a good season, would you be shocked if, like, I would not have any hesitation at all if it, Trey... Trey, Trey Riley had a good first half. Put him in the twenties somewhere. I that's would easy. That's an easy decision. Yeah, the yeah. stuff is the the stuff the stuff is great. He just can't. Mm. He just doesn't know where it's going. And if it's the stuff's there, and he especially if he's starting, like like he's probably in the early twenties right now. So those are the kind of guys that I identified as kind of you know the guys who could who could jump on the list. And I'm sure there's gonna be a couple guys that we've never I, I say I won't say we've never heard of, but our guys who will come out of nowhere and, you know, make hay and, you know, make the back half of the top, the bottom five or so of the top 30 at midseason. And I'm all for it. I'm happy. I love when those things happen. And I, I think that Wayne and would agree is that when the unexpected happens, that's when that's what gets our juices flowing and we start really kind of getting, you know, more engaged, I guess, is the best way I know how to describe it.
1: I think we have an opportunity for that this year, too, right? with yep. uh, With having not seen so many players in so long, we're going to have – Pleasant surprises, probably some unpleasant disappointments too. But I think, yeah, I think there are mid-season lists. We're going to have a lot of fun and, and be excited about trying to put together.
2: Couldn't agree more. Uh, Gaurav, do you have anything else you want to air for? add before I let everyone go?
1: No,
3: just that I'm looking forward. I'm looking so freaking forward to a hopefully potentially fully healthy 2021 minor league baseball season. There's so many players that we I want to get back and watch and watch develop. And it's just such an, a like a special place in my life. And I'm so glad that we're almost there.
2: Yeah, it's about to happen. And uh, I, I, I certainly don't want to jinx it either, uh, because, you know, we don't want to ignore the fact that there's, you know, a pandemic kind of raging around us. Uh, fortunately, it seems like, you know, the vaccine rollout's going reasonably well. Uh, I just today was able to get appointments for myself and my stepson. My wife's already being, got her first dose in. And so once we're vaccinated and good to go, you know, we can kind of start returning to at least a little bit more normalcy. Uh, and I'm looking forward to be back on the field, probably back out in the field more than anything. I've already kind of put out the word to the boys, uh, not just these two gentlemen I'm talking to, but Matt and Garrett and basically anyone else I can get my hands on for information. Uh, that, you know, I'm, we're going to, we're going to be out in the fields quite a bit. Uh, especially if we can kind of get, get vaccinated and all that stuff. I don't want to put anyone in danger, but at the same time, you know, I think it's important for us to kind of get back out there and really be monitoring these guys that a lot of you rely on us for good information on. And I want to make sure that we can provide that. So I imagine that I'll be at Rome quite a bit. That's the closest affiliate to me. Uh, I'm, I'll get to Gwinnett for like a series probably, uh, but I also want to spend some time out in Augusta. Uh, to check out the low, the new low A affiliate, kind of get to know those folks out there. And I am going to commit to going to a Mississippi Braves series down there in Pearl. I, it's been, I think it's been four seasons since I've actually been down to Mississippi. I've caught some games when they were a little closer, but I actually haven't been down to Pearl in a long time. So I'm going to make sure I get down there uh, for at least a series to kind of get a look at those guys too. And we're really making an effort to, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of like we're, you know, two or three of us might be at one series because we just want to meet up and hang out because that's fun to do when all of us get together and talk baseball on the field. But, you know, also kind of spreading it out a little bit to get different looks at the guys at different times. So be on the lookout for all that information. Uh Make sure that you're checking out the podcast here. And if you want to continue to get this podcast, there's an easy way to do that. Just make sure you subscribe to the Talking Shop podcast. Podcast stream, on um, whatever podcast provider you prefer—Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, whatever you prefer—you'll get not only this podcast, but you'll also get the Talking Chop podcast that is hosted by the great Brad Roland, uh, which is occasionally guest hosted, uh, guest hosted and or co-hosted by yours truly or Scott Coleman or basically whoever Brad can get to deal with uh, to deal with him on a day, on a nightly basis. Uh, it's a lot of fun over there uh, on that podcast as well. So make sure you are you know leaving leaving strong reviews for the podcast stream that helps us grow the podcast. We really appreciate all the support. We're glad to kind of get back on the horse and be doing this podcast more regularly. Uh, we're going to probably do the next couple. We're probably going to be mailbag type podcast uh, po- podcasts here on road, road to Atlanta until we can kind of get the minor league season rolling, rolling again. We might do some sort of spring training retrospective at all based on how the prospects did once spring training ends. But beyond that, we appreciate you guys so much. and Thanks. And we'll see you next time. And we'll see you on the road